Okay, you're very welcome to Sweet Velvet Life. This is the first of a podcast. Um, kind of, I don't know how this came about, really. I was chatting to my friend Fiona, and uh, she wanted me to get involved in, in doing a podcast where we just kind of talk about life and stuff and just have interesting people come in and just make it a real kind of chilled vibe because podcasts are her thing. I have to admit, they're very new to me. I've probably listened to maybe about six or seven podcasts, but here I am then. On the seventh one is me uh, chatting and doing one. My name is Pierce. How's it going? So I'm going to say hi to Fee. Fee, say hello. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? Good. Fee is going to be my backbone, the everything really to the show. She's And she's also going to, at some stage, bring in a little feature called FML. <laughs> Fiona's mom's life because you're you're a mom to a young children. Yeah, yeah, that's what my, I tell my children that FML stands for. Yeah. Fiona's mom life. Fiona's mom life. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. FML. And I'm so delighted that we're after finally starting this. Brilliant. I know. And the same. It's it's kind of mad because we've kind of been chit chatting about this for ages. We were meant to do this with a video camera in a room, and uh, thank God we didn't because. Uh, I I always believe radio people and audio stuff should just be that. And plus, I was gifted with a face for radio, as they say. We kind of it was one of these things where it's kind of dragged on. It hasn't happened yet. So we said, right, we just we would go with this. Uh, we have absolutely no expectations as to where this is going to go. See how it sounds. Yeah, we decided to call it Sweet Velvet Life. Pretty much sums up me in a nutshell, I guess. But yeah, no life is sweet, and we just want to you know meet interesting people and. Kind of human interest thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I suppose we're on a kind of a quest to find the most interesting people yeah. that we can talk to. Yeah. And today is no exception. Oh, my God, we were kind of starting with a with a bumper edition, really. <laughs> we couldn't have started really well better. And the man is with us here, and we'll introduce him in a second, and we'll say hello. But it was this was your suggestion, Fiona. You really, really pushed for us to start with this uh, microbiome. I, I suppose the, the most important topic at the moment in our modern social life is mental health. Yeah. And when I heard about John Cryan and then I watched his TEDx show as well mm. and like finding, you know, a link between if you look after your gut and that it might help with your mental health, like how more interesting is that I know, and, and pertaining and to life like? And you know what? I mean, anyone who knows me, I had a heart attack when I was 40 and... I came within 30 minutes, so they told me at the hospital, within 30 minutes. If I'd have left things go for 30 minutes, I was told we wouldn't have been having this conversation. So then I decided, right, okay, um, I suppose to see your your own children as upset as, as what they were, you kind of sit in there in a hospital bed thinking, all right, do you know what, this? I need to kind of take grasp of life here. So I remember I was going home and kind of looking at the clock one day, I sat in front of a clock and looked at 30 minutes past and realised that actually isn't very, very long. And I came that close to my daughters not having me around anymore and and just life in general changing. So I remember then getting dragged to a gym for the <laughs> one of the first times ever. And, and the guy that I decided to, that decided to train me, not only was it about pushing weights and, you know, but it was all about cardio and exercise and diet and he he was very much he's 20 years experience as a personal trainer but he's also a nutritionist and and to him how how important they all go hand in hand and like anything i went with a gusto and then i kind of lacked off a little bit and i had surgery a couple of years ago my weight ballooned to 20 stone and then when i realized i was going to be a granddad 2 years ago i thought okay it's time to to take stock and i'm down about five and a half stone in in that time i'm still a work in progress and i have my little my little troughs <laughs> where I'm flying for a while being all positivity and then I just start mm, sticking chocolate bars galore into my mouth and then going, okay, uh, dusting myself off and, and kind of going for it. But I certainly, I think your diet, you are what you eat, quite literally, you know. And, and that kind of brings us nicely to our first guest on the Sweet Velvet Life. John Crine is a professor and a chair at the Department of Anatomy and Neuroscience in UCC. And and actually, I could spend the next hour reading down through. But you're you're it's it's like a who's who of universities that you're attached to, but a neuroscientist. And and first, before we even get into that, is it okay to call you John? Will we call you Professor? What do people call you? What do people call a professor? Um, well, 
Hi, Pierce. Uh, John is perfectly fine. Uh, I'm sure they call me many things, some of which are not, uh, uh, couldn't be said on radio, but uh, uh, John is perfectly fine. And where do they call you a professor? Where would you be referred to as professor? Would that be in the university? Or oh, at, the, at the university uh, by the, the students and many okay. of the staff, yeah. Okay, and, and every time you hear it, is it still a little bit like, hey, I'm a professor? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's, 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 we try not to have as, as an elite. Uh, uh, academy as we would have had in the past so yeah. you know I think things are a little bit more uh, egalitarian in terms of, of what's going on and so uh, I don't mind uh, uh, as long as you know it's not hey you or yeah. whatever else <laughs> yeah. now I mean we're, go- we're, we're obviously you know I'm very interested to find out about your whole uh, what you're working at at the minute which is you know all around kind of you are what you eat in a way but I like the whole microbiome and and in a while, I'd like you to kind of, I suppose, explain it to me in the best layman terms possible. Sure. Um, but to become a neuroscientist, yeah, like a footballer, usually were kicking a ball around when they were two and three. To become a neuroscientist, were you always interested in that? I mean, l- let's go way back to Little John. To Little John, yeah, no, um, I, God, no, I wasn't interested in neuroscience. I mean, just for the li- listeners, neuroscience is the study of of, of the brain and, and and the nervous system, okay. and. Um, and it often we study it when things go wrong and look at, at, at uh, uh, problems related to both mental or, or neurological health. I came at it more from a, a science perspective. So I did a general degree in science in, in Galway. Uh, uh, it was UCG in them days. Yeah, uh, wow, that's going way back. That's yeah, when yeah, we I'm dazing myself. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, I, 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 I had to split you know, between uh, a real love for the art and a real love for, for science. And I followed the science track okay. from a career perspective. And uh, that's taken me to, you know, many weird and wonderful places. You know, I, I spent some time uh, after doing my degree, I, I decided to do re- more research. I got, I got the research bug. I, I, I was wanted to ask questions and I wanted to, okay. to really, you know, and I was really puzzled by how the brain deals with stress and how how could we you know look at this and and so the one thread through my research over two decades has been trying to understand the relationship our bodies have with stress okay. uh, and how we could manage that and how the drugs we use could actually be uh, useful or how, how do we look for new ways of uh, of dealing with stress and because we actually live in a very stressful world mm-hmm. and you know all we have to do is turn on our television and you know new people are coming to Ireland and other things are happening and people get stressed all the time and you know we're coming up to leave in certain times and you know, people are getting stressed, and you know, and the, it's Christmas time. People are spending double the amounts of money as what they're earning. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so, 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 so that's one of the the main themes. And and uh, I I've kept at that for you know, and I've worked in Australia, and I've worked in the US, and I've worked in Switzerland, and I came back to Ireland uh, in in two thousand and five, uh, and to UCC. And uh, we're very fortunate here in Cork that we have a really great bunch of neuroscientists and a great yeah. bunch of people who are a little bit. Willing Willing to think outside the box, and by outside the box, I often mean outside the brain, because in medicine, as in general, you know, we compartmentalize things. So if you work on the brain, you think of everything from the neck upwards, yeah, okay. uh, and so we, we we basically dissect out the body in different ways. Uh, and what our research is really focusing on is more integrative and how other factors are influencing, other systems are influencing uh, what's going on in our brain. So like our immune system, and we'll talk about the gut as well. Yeah, yeah, because that's the, I read somewhere, and it was quite cool that, you know, a a neuroscientist suddenly got interested in the gut. But, you know, we we have nerves in our gut. We have more nerves in our uh, gastrointestinal tract than we do in our spinal cord. Mm. You know, and, and that's really, uh, and, you know, it's been coined the second brain because it has its own nervous system and it, it, it's, it, it's kind of somewhat independent because these nerves, what they control is how our gut works. That's most- kind of like, you know, when people say, go with your gut feeling. Yeah. Because I, I used to work, um, many years ago, I used to work in a residential therapeutic community in Dublin called Coomine and it was for recovering drug addicts. Yeah. And the thing that, uh, you you know the residents would be thought is go with your gut 
you know, if they if they come up against a situation, mm. go with your gut, the immediate gut feeling, because that'll never lie, whereas your brain gets confused with love and emotions and all this. So although you may think, oh, this is the right thing to do, then suddenly all emotions and any attachments we may have kind of kicks in and, and, and clouds our judgment, whereas the gut feeling is the, that'll never lie to you. Yeah, and, and although, you know, and, and, and just people are studying this a lot now, even in economics and trying to understand if people make impulsive choices based on their intuition and their mm. gut feelings, mm. how they respond compared to very planned and, and you know, and, and life isn't all about planning either. No, no, Genia Mac, it certainly isn't. Now, microbiomes, okay. What exactly are microbiomes? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. so again, this is kind of a function of the fact that I moved to Cork, and I had never worked on microbiome before I moved I moved to Cork. And they had you had, even heard you had heard of them? Yeah, well, I, I did. You know, I did science, so I had done microbiology as part of, of my science degree. Uh, 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 but um, over the last say. 15 years um, or even 20 years, there's been a complete uh, explosion uh, in research on the microbiome. And, and what, what it is, is these are the trillions of bacteria uh, and also viruses and other microorganisms that are inhabit our gut, which is the main place, but they're also on our skin, in our nose, and in all every orifice we have uh, contains uh, microorganisms. And people think it's really strange that you know people are, are focusing on these bacteria, you know, and and especially you know, we are so human centric in what we're doing. But it's worth remembering that bacteria were here long before humans ever existed, mm-hmm. and so we have co-evolved as this kind of you know organism with these uh, bacteria and and we're living in their world and that's we could be uh, infecting them for god's well, sake well we're, we're definitely influencing them but but they're you know so there's never been a time for example when the brain has never existed without signals coming from the gut okay and that's quite startling and you know when you, when you give some numbers and you know I'm a scientist so we like talking in numbers but some of the numbers Says he with a smile on his face. some of the numbers are startling and very humbling so if you look at the genes we have we are more than 99% microbial Okay. We spent billions on the Human Genome Project, and it's for less than 1% of the genes we have. Why is that? Because uh, the microbes are so important, and there's so many of them. Mm. There's more microbial cells than human cells. But, but we, before this, we, couldn't, uh, we didn't have all of the technologies to be able to measure them and to, to really understand what they were doing. And so there's been huge advances in the last while to be able to do that. And a lot of this is coming... Well, what's great about this whole uh, field is that, uh, you know, here in Cork, we're, we're actually leading the way in many aspects of this science. And that's what's really nice for me, to have come back and to join a group of people that were already, you know, top of their own games. But when, as we come together, uh, we've been able to make, you know, some really intriguing discoveries and really compete na- internationally for uh, funding and uh, it's been very exciting. Your place of work, I presume, is it a lab? Are they labs? Are there multiple labs? So so there are labs but they don't like me to going into labs anymore. So I trained in labs and I worked in labs but every scientist, and this is people don't uh, don't always appreciate this, as you move up the academic career you you, you come out and out of the lab and you become one of these boring managers in an office. In an office. Is Uh, that you? And that's, well, I'm a chair of a department. I'm responsible for all the academic units in the department. Uh, So so that is you then? That is me, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I, I, I have lots of administrative duties within the university yeah. so so when I go into the lab and I have a, a white lab coat on then they all get very worried or they realise that there must be a TV crew coming okay. uh, <laughs> I suppose you've gone as you said there you, you've kind of gone up the ladder and all that and then suddenly you have all these administrative duties to have to deal with do you ever sometimes go oh, I wish I was just in the lab doing what I actually love to do and does that stuff sometimes get in the way of that? Yeah, there's definitely an aspect of that. After you've done your PhD, which is the large part of training that you do, mm. you go into a, 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 another training period, which is called a postdoc, which is usually can be anywhere two to five years. So after I, your PhD, after your PhD, so that's when you're looking for. After that, then you you would get a lectureship position or or something. So that postdoc period is the most exciting period. People often travel, and so we have. We, in, in our lab, we have people from 15 different countries oh, wow. uh, all over the world in our lab who are doing their postdocs with us, you know, from Australia, from Argentina, from the US, from Canada. And, you know, 
I, I, I post, I did my postdoc in, in the States. And so it was, it was, you know, it was really fascinating time uh, when you're all you're focused on is science. You have no administration. You have nothing else to do. Uh, and you're usually at an age where, you, you know, you're, you're not as tied down and you, you, you may not have, a, have family commitments as much. And it's the best time. So I always say to, to, to the guys in my lab, Enjoy you know, it. stay. You know, the, you, that's the time I would love to be back. Sometimes, you know, you just love to be back being there mm-hmm. where you're in total control. You don't have to write a thesis. You don't have to, you know, there's no end point except discovery. Yeah. And that aspect of discovery is really wonderful. However, but the way science careers are, it it is very insecure. And and once people start having families or having it becomes very difficult. And that's mm-hmm. when you start to see people making decisions whether they will stay in this career uh, or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everyone can become the professor. It's a pyramid. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately that's, the, the, that's how it goes. A lot of people we train, we train for careers in industry, uh, in, in alt- other careers in, in administration or scientific writing or legal aspects as well and a lot of the skills they develop are transferable but um, you know uh, a lot of science is also boring you know it's okay. repetitive you're doing the same thing every day you're you know and so aspects of that you know you know are also quite tedious if you didn't have uh, some skin in the game about what the results were going to lead lead to mm. uh, and we make it look very sexy on TV and, and all that but it, you know it isn't, it isn't all is about it like CSI no no no, no. Oh, not, even a, not even a smidgen uh, no <laughs> I, I, God well, damn it. you know, and, and also the great thing is that that science is changing the techniques that you know, like uh, techniques I would have labored for days or weeks at when I was a student. We now can get answers automatically. So yeah. the speed of which things are happening is just so much uh, faster, and you know, you have to really keep up with technology. Is there less learning in that though? Are, you know, are, yeah, are, but pe- new, are people being reliant on computers? There's new, things, there's new things to learn. And of okay. course, computers are, uh, are uh, playing a role, but we're seeing a huge uh, uh, um, you know, revolution in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all this even affecting things in biology, uh, which we would never have expected. It's helping us you know, move uh, discovery faster. Yeah, okay. And you know when... When you make a discovery, you're in the lab and you, you know, you make the discovery. Is it like, what's the buzz in a, in a, in a lab like at that? Well, you know, is it like the guy scoring the winning goal in the cup final. It's kinda? not quite that, but well, so 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 so, so, so we, we, you know, when you get something, you first have this this kind of you know disbelief. Did it? Did you know? Is that it, just happened? Is, is that just a fluke? And so you have to repeat things, and so there's a whole scientific method where you're looking to validate that this just isn't a one-off by chance uh, aspect and we have to have you know very good statistical analysis to be able to make sure that it's real and then you see it again and then you, then you start asking it the same question in a different way to make sure that you're able to to answer it and and uh, you know every now and then you get these you do get these eureka moments they're not yeah. that common yeah. uh, you know but but we, we you know we've had some of them and and and, and sometimes you don't realize and you have them until uh, a few months later when you're starting trying to put things together and you're like oh we found that there and we found this and maybe this you know and I often think that it, science is a bit like you know the, one of these big jigsaws, and we're putting pieces of the sky together, and you know slowly it, the, you, you can start to push things, and you're hoping it's not a big cloud, but you know there's things start to once the, the pieces start coming together, mm. they really start coming together, yeah. and, and that's when you can start making discoveries, and yeah. and that's really what what some of our, our work has been like. It's like oh that kind of is joining all these things together, and uh, okay. and that's part of you know being a little bit more open to things that are can be surprising. Okay. And what's the biggest eureka moment that you've had so far in your career or maybe as a student? Oh, wow. Um well one of the most exciting ones probably that we that we've had in here in Cork which which was we were very excited about because it kind of came out of nowhere and it was driven by a really great uh student um Alan Hoban. It was one where we uh discovered that uh myelin so myelin is is basically the insulation on which nerve cells uh use to communicate. Okay. So we all have nerve cells in our brain and for them to fire appropriately you need a good layer of insulation 
And okay. it, and when you have the insulation, things move fast and, and appropriate. And you may have, you probably hear of myelin in terms of uh, when, when, when myelin starts to disappear uh, or uh, you get problems in conductance and things stop, stop working efficiently. And that's what happens in multiple sclerosis. Okay. Multiple sclerosis is a disease. Uh, it's a demyelinating disease. So it affects the myelin. It and, affects and, the myelin. And as people get older, does the myelin wear? wear? It can do. And you know the way people start getting forgetful and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, 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 and there's a lot of focus on on this now to try and understand the role of of, of myelin, but um, we did a, we did this experiment, uh, uh, and Alan um, basically looked at all the genes that were changed uh, in a part of the brain which is the frontal cortex, which is very much involved in learning and memory and 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 and, and many aspects of our behaviour, and, and so we we looked at this in in in, in a mouse uh, brain, uh, and we quantified all the genes that were that were there. And then we took a, a, a brain that grew up without having any of these microbes in its gut. Okay. So you have a very extreme situation. There's, there's, the, these mice are like, um, they're like, they grew up in a bubble. They never have exposed to any germs or any microbes at all. So maybe they're a bit like the boy in the bubble. But so, but that, that Paul Simon sang about in the 1980s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so they're not a human. They have very little human translation. But they're a, they're a really good model to, for us to answer the question: Is these microbes involved? Yes or no? And 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 so so uh, we we looked at the the genes and there are you know hundreds of thousands of genes that we were looking at and Alan you know was interrogating this and this can lead you down into all types of rabbit holes of big data trying to understand what was going on and then he looked at all the genes that went up uh, in the in the absence of these microbes and what we found was that a lot of them uh, were involved in the process of how myelin is made. Okay. And really was remarkable. And so we were like, wow, that's, why would that be? And so then we were able to go down the, um, because I, I, I work in an in a, in a anatomy department and, and we're responsible for the microscopy unit. We were able to look down in the, in, in the electron microscope at a very, you know, intricate level and we were able to visualize what is the myelin like. And we were able to find that there was really increased myelination, not decrease, but increased myelination uh, in the in the absence of these microbes. And this yeah. was really, really uh, for us, was one of these was one of these moments where you're like, what if now we could, that's telling us what's happening in our gut is regulating what's happening in one of the most important areas of the brain, in a mouse, mm-hmm. but it's really telling us something that we knew nothing about before. Okay. And now my lab is not a myelin, it's not a multiple sclerosis lab, it's not a myelin lab, there are labs who specialise so in that. This is a big, def- but, but big the, deal for MS. But this, though, was, this was really, it really was, was startling and people now all over the world now are, are working on this. Okay. To, to try and look at, is there ways that we can, t- you know, be able to repair or perhaps uh, have some impact on, on myelination okay. uh, by targeting these microbes uh, in the gut. So that's just one example. I mean, oh, there's yeah. many others that, you know, that we had, but, but that was like taking me to somewhere that I would never have predicted because yeah. you think these things are all hardwired. And the great thing about our brain is that it's so plastic and so able to sense the environment we live in and it's changing all the time. Uh, and I think that's really important uh, to, to, to be able to regulate it by different means. Okay. Now, your big thing is what goes on in the gut can control everything. So explain to me a little bit about, I suppose the best way is myself and Fiona have been kind of relating to this is you are what you eat. Exactly. In <laughs> so, so these microbes that I talked about, that's one of the big things in, in medicine over the last uh, while. We've been able to quantify them, see what's there and what, and what they do. And so as a neuroscientist uh, who came to Cork, when everyone in, in, in our unit is working on these microorganisms, uh, I, together with my colleague Ted Dynan, who's the head of psychiatry, uh, started thinking, well, maybe there might be a role for these if they're involved in everything else. Well, why wouldn't they be involved uh, in what's going on in the brain? And they're involved in metabolism, in, 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 in gastro, uh, gastric function, in infection, in, in, in all kinds of development and aging. So uh, we started investigating it both in, in these types of animal studies that I just described and in uh, and and in uh, more recently in human studies, and what what we began to realize is that um, if and, and probably the, the starting point for us that was really important was again when we showed that if you stressed animals, they it changed a long lasting effect on the composition of these microbes, mm. and and uh, we're particularly interested in um, key. T- 
time windows across the lifespan. So we're interested in the perinatal period, we're interested in adolescence, the teenage brain, and we're interested in the aging brain. So, you know, they're the types of, if, if I break down my lab right now, there's people working in all three uh, uh, of okay. these areas. Because these are vulnerable windows. They're windows where we can actually do things to actually help uh, uh, and we can prevent potentially uh, certain bad things from happening. And uh, so we were trying to look at what was going on in, in early life, if you stress, get stressed in early life. And, and if you look at, at a cross-sectional population of people, for example, who are depressed, a large percentage of them will have some level of early life trauma. Mm. Um, and uh, it's trying to understand, well, what is that doing? And, you know, uh, how can we reverse some of these effects on the whole body? And, um, and the thing about stress for me is that it is a whole body syndrome. It doesn't just affect a few nerve cells in the brain. It affects how our immune system uh, is, it, it communicates with the brain. It affects even locally in the gut in terms of the... Appetite and stuff the, like that. Well, yes, and also barrier function and can drive inf- inflammation. Mm. Um, and so um, when we, we, we were trying to model this in an animal, and we did, and we were able to show very clearly that these animals who are stressed in early life, that they have a whole body syndrome. And then... Again, it was one of these kind of things. We had a really great student. She's now on faculty in UCC, Siobhan O'Mahony. And Siobhan was, was doing her PhD at the time. And she started playing with someone down the hallway who was working on the microbiome. And that's sometimes how, you know, science has to be fun and you need to be able to, to, to do these kind of crazy experiments. And, and Siobhan looked at the microbiome in these animals that had been stressed in real life. And we published this over a decade ago now where we showed that there was a signature of this trauma that persisted in the microbes Mm -hmm. and uh, then a paper came out from um, then we showed that this also happens if you stress uh, the animals during pregnancy so it's not just after you know so and and pregnancy stress is also a a problem and and, and it's an issue and uh, and can and can stress as we say if, if if a mother is pregnant and there's stress introduced major stress introduced yeah can the baby feel that? Yeah, and carry so, it into their life. Is that so, what you're saying? So, so there's two things we were interested in in in, in that regard. One is, uh, and we know that the, 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 that there is a, a, a potential for it to have direct effect on 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 the offspring, but but. The mom, for the most part, uh, babies are sterile in utero. So they get their microbes at birth. Okay. And this was also quite a, some of the most intriguing things for me. So, but they're not get it internally? No. No, no okay. they, they're sterile. They're kept sterile. Okay. And so what Within hap- the womb. So. Yeah. So, okay. so, so, so when they... Um, and a mum's um, microbiome during pregnancy changes. It's an evolutionary wired uh, to change over the nine months of pregnancy. And that microbiome is what's handed over during the birthing process okay. as kind of an evolutionary relay. If you think of it as a relay race, it's handed over from mom to infant as a birthday present. Okay. Uh, and these microbes, what they do is they, um, they're the first thing that the infant gets to inform the developing infant's immune system okay. and it's a gut and they're the first thing it meets and so it, anything that affects the mom's microbes uh, could potentially affect, affect what's been handed oh, wow. over and so that's what we're, we're also interested in in, the, in this what we call vertical transmission of, okay. of microbes and uh, and stress is one of the things that does that and we showed that that was the case and that's a very in, in animals but it was a very nice human study came from Holland uh, a couple of years later where they showed that mums who have um uh, high perceived stress during pregnancy. These tended to be first-time moms, and pregnancy can be a very stressful time. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, they're, they're Fiona nodding in her I, I, <laughs> <laughs> and they're they could detect the changes uh, in the offsprings in the, in the infants' uh, uh, microbiome. And so we're very interested in in. in what's happening during this early phase and what are the long-lasting consequences of it. So we found that stress um, uh, is affecting the microbiome. Um, We're also finding uh, in these animals that lack microbes, we call them germ-free mice, uh, that they have an exaggerated stress response. So their stress is not only affecting the microbiome, but the microbiome is affecting stress. Okay. And so, right. so, so, so that, it's like a vicious circle, isn't so, it? And then that led us to the next question, which was, uh, and this is going back, it was published uh, in 2011, so uh, some time ago, was could we, by targeting the microbes, could we do something to stress? 
So again, it was an animal study, uh, but but we looked at if we gave an, uh, stressed animals a lactobacillus, a specific strain of bacteria, uh, could we affect uh, the stress response? And we could we could just dampen down how these animals they were a lot uh, less worried worried in terms of the environment they were in. Okay. They didn't have as much fear, anxiety. When we looked at their stress hormone levels, they were much uh, lower when we put them in a stressful situation, and so that was. All of that happened uh, uh, during that period, and, and and so that set the field very much uh, towards thinking uh, that maybe these bacteria in the gut are so intertwined with how we deal with stress mm. that maybe we should be doing more to try and mind these microbes, and we might be able to mind our minds better. Okay. Uh, and that that so so that's that was the the nub of what we started doing, and and, and we've tried to look at the mechanisms involved in that. One of the ways that we've been working on is there's, there's, we have a nerve in our body uh, called the vagus nerve. I don't know if, if you've ever heard of it, but it's a, vagus comes from like the Latin for vagrant, so long wandering. So it's wandering nerve. Okay. And it's really important for sending signals from our brain to our body and, and vice versa. And so in these animal studies, together with some colleagues in Canada, we, we cut off this signaling pathway and all of the effects were gone. So, as I like to remind people, this tells us that what happens in Vegas doesn't Stays. stay in Vegas, <laughs> but will actually affect our emotions in some ways. Wow. And, uh, and that, is, that is at least one pathway. Because people are always wondering, but how, how can these bacteria, you know, signal to the brain? And we're really only beginning to work this out. Um, and the great thing about being a neuroscientist yeah, is how, how, I, how? I will never be without a job. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we will never have everything discovered. And how far down the road are you with that now? Well, our big, our big, you know, we just got refunded in the Centre from Science Foundation Ireland for another six years, which is okay. really great. Um, and uh, our big goals is trying to really interrogate these mechanisms and, and human translation. So, like, we're not trying to cure stress disorders in, in animals. We actually want to move more and more to human exactly. studies. And we've been doing that. And, and that's something that's been really exciting to watch is, you know, what happens if we look at, you know, some of what we've done in basic uh, science experiments in the lab and go and give it the same type of manipulations to humans. Okay. Uh, and have you done that? We have. And how's that? Can you, like, what, what did you do? So, so... But so there's challenges. So so uh, so we're as I said we're interested in stress. So um, we have really good ethical ways of stressing uh, individuals in the lab. Yeah. So one of them is uh, is uh, it's well valued task called the Trier Social Stress Test, and it's not unlike a situation we're in now, Pierce, where okay. someone is brought into a room and they're asked to to describe their dream job. And uh, in front of, but much more nastier looking people than you. So, okay. so, so, so people in white coats who are taking notes, who are assessing what they're doing, and um, they that would unnerve anybody. Wouldn't yeah, it? and then there's the, the, we do some, uh, you know, they, they do some uh, secret stuff in terms of uh, uh, things that they're not expecting, so they get all flustered. So okay. we we they're very good at mounting a stress response. We're measuring um, both um, their uh, skin conductance, so like a lie detector type task. Um, We're measuring their cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone level. So we're we're able to look at that. And we're asking them also how they feel. So we have a full remit of how... how, how, So you get a very nice stress, acute stress response. Like public speaking, you know. And the second way we do it is we get people to put their hand into an ice bucket of water. There's someone watching them they don't know and taking notes about how good they are and how, uh, you know, and, you know, comment. So it's it's very much a socially evaluated test uh, with a very psychological component to it. And these are great ways for mounting a stress response. Do you know you've just reminded me there of the ice bucket challenge? I was just thinking that the yeah. AMS, yeah. These are very this is our own version of the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, I just I'll never forget like everyone we knew did the ice bucket challenge, but there was always a moment just after the ice hit that they'd be laughing and then they'd go Yeah. You know, and, their faces I, would freeze. And I like. believe it's at that moment is what it's like to have ALS. And that was the whole idea yeah, behind yeah, the ice yeah. bucket challenge. That moment where you just lose all the power yeah. of anything that's what yeah. it was yeah, yeah. I got pneumonia two weeks after doing it. <laughs> I swear to God so it, it is it is, it is stressful and yeah. uh, so these are some of the things we do uh, uh, acutely in the lab and so we've done studies where we've given um, healthy people 
I was going to say normal, but UCC medical students, whatever you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we we, we 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 give healthy people uh, uh, um, uh, a certain strains of bacteria like okay. th- that we know comes from from our animal experiments th- that they'll have effects potentially. And so we did this with with one strain called uh, it was a bifidobacteria, a type of good bacteria. And then, but do you mean you just give them like your sachet? Well, this in this case we give it in a sachet because we didn't we don't want to pollute it with other ingredients. So we, the, the, the they, they drink it in, a, in a, with milk, or uh, it can be also be given in a, in a capsule or whatever. But in, in, for our, most of our studies, we just give it in a. In a so there's nobody being put to sleep with guys with white coats operating on them, no. inserting stuff into them. No, God damn, I no. Thought it was be a bit like that. Sorry, <laughs> that's neurosurgery. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have him. In the yeah, time. yeah. <laughs> so they um, and 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 then we we look at how they how they respond in a stressful situation, yeah. and lo and behold, when we did this with one of the one of the strains. Uh, it actually, it actually worked. It no. really worked, and it's a small study. It's twenty-two people. It's not like a big, you know, you know. But it, it's a start. Though, it's isn't a start. It? And then, more recently, a group in Germany were interested in um, they do brain imaging, and they were interested uh, in, in this. And so they, they they came over to us a few years ago, saying, "Well, we want to pick a right strain of bacteria. We had our data, so we encouraged them to use the same strain." And they just published it in the last month uh, a study where you have people in a, you have a person in a scanner. And you're looking at their brain activity, and then they're playing a virtual reality game with two others. So it's like me playing with the two of you, and then all of a sudden uh, we're, we're passing a ball to each other, okay. and then all of a sudden we, we we decide let's forget about peers, and we we just continue to play, and your brain is being, you're you're in the scanner, and so you start to feel socially isolated, yeah. you start to feel a bit stressed, and 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 this cyberball task is very well validated, and so again they had given people this bacteria. And just a strain of bacteria, and they had a completely different response, and didn't feel as stressed uh, wow. if, they, if they'd taken the bacteria. So that was, you know, they're small studies. We need to see more of them. We need to see, you know, what is it about this bacteria? What is it doing? How is it yeah. doing? You know, is this real? Could this have a real role in helping people manage their stress? So ultimately, uh, I suppose the key would be to have this positive bacteria. That you could give to people. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah and, yeah. and it could reduce, as opposed to giving people tablets. Yeah, yeah, but and, and but the ironic thing is that it's often given in a, a tablet in form. A tablet yeah, well, form. That's okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> so. It actually brings me to the part, the most important part of this podcast. Tell us, what's the ideal perfect diet? Yeah. How yeah. do you, what's the so, diet to how, avoid how, stress? How, yeah, how do you look after the gut, Is, I is that bacteria yeah. available in any food types or... So that's a bifidobacteria longum, and there are many, there are many way, you know, t- t- types of it. So one of the, the hurdles we have is trying to understand, well, what's, what is it about that bifidobacteria versus a different bifidobacteria? And, um, and there are, there's another bifidobacteria which is commercially available, which is, does different things. You know, so the, the, that's where the field needs to get to, to dig into. It's like taking two drugs and they go into a pharmacy and, take, and say, well, drugs are good for you. You know, and then this is how people respond about bacteria or probiotics. They they think, well, probiotics are good for you, so all probiotics should be good for you for your stress. Yeah. But you would never go into a pharmacy and say, drugs are good for you, so I'll take this anticoagulant for my headache. You know what I mean? You know, because but when it comes to drugs, they're regulated well, and we know what they're, they have clinical evidence to back up what they do, and we can actually have indications uh, overall. With probiotics, it's still a little bit, you know, not clear why certain strains do certain things, uh, and, 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 and that's really important. Um, but going back to your question, which is really one about how diet interacts with these bacteria in general, um, what we've realized very much is that diet is probably the biggest regulator of the bacteria in our gut. So maybe, you know, you might need to take a specific bacteria strain, but maybe through diet you could be able to uh, modulate what you have in, 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 in your gut. Now, again, this is early days because you know it, it's a paradigm shift in how we think about the brain and how we think about mental illness and how we think about even our own busy lives how we manage it mm. uh, overall um, there was a really nice study from my colleagues in, 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 uh, at the APC uh, microbiome centre in, in UCC where they showed in about 200 elderly people uh, that their uh, microbiome composition good thing is now we can quantify them but that correlated with the um, uh, 
their health outcomes. So okay. their frailty, immune function, cognition. So the more diverse the microbes were, the better they were uh, overall. But they went one step further to see, well, what was driving that uh, you know, diversity in the microbes? And they found it was the diversity of the diet. Wow. And so if you have a diverse diet, then you had a much better uh, microbiome, much more diverse and a much better health outcome. And that's one of the shorthand things. When people ask me, well, what should I do? I think diversity, like in all aspects of life, uh, is really key. And we need to ha- have a diverse diet. So, so people go on exclusion diets and various other diets and, and often wonder, you know, what is this doing to your microbiome? Well, it, it's probably not the best scenario uh, overall to have, to, to, to really... Those extreme diet things, anyway, they're awful. For you. Yeah, yeah. They're you know, and they're probably not good for you. They're not good for, you, for, 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 you, for, for your bacteria. So what we've, um, we've coined a term called psychobiotic. Psychobiotic. I, I, you actually yeah. showed me this earlier. I was saying, this, that's, it's a it's cork, a cork phrase, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a cork phrase. Yeah, it's the tenora of. Uh, yeah, there you go. The tenora of science. The tenora of science. Psychobiotics. Um, yeah, no, it was a, a phrase we coined. We coined, and my colleague Ted Dynan came up with it initially. And so we have a book called The Psychobiotic Revolution. Now that was from National Geographic Press, and the revolution is probably too strong because it, it, you know we're just at the beginning. If it is a revolution, it is the beginning of a revolution. And every revolution um, has to have a beginning. Absolutely, and uh, so. A psychobiotic. Initially, we thought we thought it would just be the bacteria, but we've actually expanded it uh, together with some colleagues at the University of Oxford. We've basically now it's any dietary or other intervention that we can take that will support uh, our microbes in our gut to benefit our brain. Okay, and uh, so that includes. Um, uh, specific strains of bacteria, but also what we call prebiotics. And they're often confused. People confuse prebiotics and probiotics. Yeah, because they're in the yogurts, probiotics. Probiotics can be in the yogurts, but prebiotics are actually tend to be the fibres and sugars that, that are really good for the growth of these bacteria. They're okay. kind of like the fertiliser. Okay. And you, that's what we get from our diet. Okay. And uh, things like inulin and uh, uh, other things like that. Um, there are other... Extreme ways that people are looking at, which is just changing the microbiome completely. And that involves what we call a fecal transplant, which oh. is taking someone else's poo. Uh, and that is, that's a whole new medicine uh, approach. And it's disrupting what we think medicine is overall. And this is a life-saving uh, approach if you have, um, for example... Uh, where, would, where would the faecal come from? So generally, uh, so, so there's different ways people are looking at it now. Initially, it was usually from a, a, a close relative who was living in the same environment, who was willing to be a donor. Oh, right. Now, some people are beginning to look at taking their own... Um, freezing it? Freezing it. And so, for example, there's, there's a number of studies now... That can make for an interesting conversation someone opens your free yeah, freezer. Yeah, now, what's it, that? My frozen poo. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going through cancer chemotherapy and you know yeah. it's going to have an impact on, 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 on what's going on. So this is early days work, but people are... There was a question, like, actually, I was thinking, sorry, Fee, I was, I, was, I, was, I was wondering when you were chatting and eventually down the road, could this be used as a cure towards cancer or looking at a way of battling cancer in people. So, remarkably, again, uh, it's early days, but what people have shown that the efficacy of some cancer, the newer cancer drugs like uh, the checkpoint inhibitors, that whether they worked or not depended on the people's microbiome wow. and the, and so so people will now be getting their microbiome assessed to see are you going to respond to this drug if you do respond to this drug some in some cases uh, these are really great drugs but they can have side effects one of them they can de- people can develop colitis or, or Crohn's disease and and in a study just out this year they were able to reverse this colitis by doing a transplant back uh, so you know it, it's changing our whole idea uh, of what a, a medicine is now people are looking at new ways of delivering it. They're developing crapsules um, and other approaches. There's one in uh, one uh, project in Canada called Repopulate. Uh, and so, you know... I was thinking there, did you actually just say crapsules? Or was I just thinking that you I said... This. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> so it's a whole new way. It's a whole new way. It's the shit, as they would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the shit is hitting the fan. And it's... <laughs> It's good, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, good it, shit. It, 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 um, so 
I don't think for, for, for in relation to stress-related disorders we'll need to go to that extreme. I yeah. think diet is probably the best way. And so we, what we're trying to do now is trying to develop the best psychobiotic diet um, mm. f- that will help people manage their stressful lives and that's something that we've an ongoing project now so that's the thing I'm one of the things I'm most excited about right now it's like the fountain of youth as we were saying earlier on downstairs it's about the fountain of youth you are the fountain of youth in (laughs) her well it's about slowing down processes it's about Mm. managing uh, how how our brain deals with with things that that could affect it Mm. uh, overall and uh, you you know we'll see we just did a very small study for uh, the Michael Mosley program uh, 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 and that was really interesting because we were able to show that we were in, in a group of students by changing their diet just in a month to what we call, it's basically a Mediterranean diet plus, which would be, the plus would be a lot of fermented foods. So we really upped the fiber intake and we really up uh, the fermented food intake and omega-3s. And so we were able to change their microbiome. Wow. And when we looked at their measures of stress, now it's a very small sample. We need, this is what we want to do and do a lot more. And, but their, their measures of stress were greatly uh, reduced. I imagine they felt way better too within they, themselves. They, they really did. Yeah. They really did. And so one month. So, mm. like, that's something that I'm, I'm trying to look at and trying to get at some of the mechanisms and trying to understand the constraints. Because the problem with the microbiome as a field is if you go into your doctor and you, 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 he'll measure your cholesterol and he'll be able to see where you are in, in the normal range. He'll be able to measure your blood pressure where you are in the normal range. You can go in, you can get your microbiome measured and you can go in with a big list of here's my microbes and he'll not know what to do with it because yeah. we don't know what a normal microbiome is. Okay. We just know that there, the, we know what's really bad and severe infections and inflammatory bowel disease. We can see what's really bad. We know diversity is really important. But, you know, it's, it, 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 there's a lot to be discovered yet. You love it. You absolutely love it. I mean, you've just chatted away there for the last nearly 50 minutes. <laughs> Honest to God, yeah. But you, it's... It, I, I I found this, I, I was a little bit nervous before we started this, and I'll tell you why, because in school, sciencey things, I just, my brain wasn't wired yeah, yeah, for yeah. it. No, I would have I would have come from the artsy kind of, mm. I'd been into, I wasn't into school at all. I was more into dreaming of performing on stage and all that, but I always had the utmost of, I was always in awe of people who were really good at science subjects, because I wasn't, you know. But you've made it so... Simplified for me. I've, I, you didn't lose me at one stage, and I, was, and I had that kind of fear of, oh God, what if I get a little bit lost? What if I have a Joey moment from Friends yeah. where I'm sitting there going, hmm, and I haven't. But, 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 and, and when but you, you're so exciting to listen to it talk is, about. And, but it's, it's really important also that, that, that this is affecting every field. Yeah. It's, it's affecting the arts. So mm. we ran uh, an exhibition a few years ago at the Glucksman uh, with, with um, Fiona Kearney and, and Chris Clark. We ran it called Gut Instinct. And that had the highest footfall of any exhibition that they ever right. had and it was all about this gut-brain axis and how the artists and art, the arts can actually interpret it. Uh, it's something that's affecting people. I mentioned ec- economics earlier. When we make these rush feelings when we make impulsive decision making when we, 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 we work in a social environment these are all influencing what we're doing philosophers I, do, I have quite a number of philosophers who are really thinking about this because it, it challenges what the being of what is you overall and so and then I, I did a, a thing uh, a couple of years ago as, as part of the um, uh, Sounds from a Safe Harbour uh, it's back this year yeah, so it's yeah. back in September but we, we, we did a, a session with, with uh, I'm blanking his name That's okay. uh, but, but the, the guy from the Arc- Arcade Fire, where we were, oh, lo- okay. where we were looking, at, we were looking at uh, how f- he 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 measures people's breathing and and what's going on internally with them, and 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 pl- gets an orchestra to play to their own internal view. And what we're looking at is wow. really about this interoception, this this how you're feeling, how you feel about how you feel, and what we're showing really is is this. And and and, and people like to again to compartmentalize, you know, science, arts, all these things, but they're all connected. And one of our goals is. is we do a lot of outreach activities in in the APC it's not to get every student in a school to to be a scientist it's really to get them to think a little bit about where science intersects the parts of life that they're interested in because everything kind of intersects really doesn't it it does now you you alluded to something very very early on about uh, the arts are the sciences and you went down the sciences route are you into your arts 
yeah, yeah, I'm a culture vulture in, in, in my own way. You know what I mean? So I, I like to be reminded that I work at a university. I don't work at a neuroscience research institute. I work across the whole campus. So, so, so I, I, I enjoy having uh, discussions with my colleagues across all of the faculties and particularly in, in the arts. What, and, and What do you like to do to chill out when you're not microbiome-ing it. What do, you, <laughs> what do you like to do in your downtime? In my downtime, you know what? I don't have as much downtime now because I have two small kids so they take up a lot of when I'm when, when I'm not uh, uh, sciencing it uh, overall um, you know I, I, I'm I'm fascinated by the, every aspect of the world I spend a lot of time I spend a lot of time travelling okay. uh, so I, I, I'm away the whole family went to China last year for a month uh, to do work there and, and, and to, to just soak up that, like? that was mad yeah. that was just absolutely what's mad what's it like as a country because you know you just see what you see in the press about it yeah really. I guess I was so I should I, I was in Shanghai which you know is like I think 28 million people uh, it's like you take New York and Tokyo and put it together wow. um, it was it was amazing for my kids because they could see that the world is very different um, but there the diet the diet, the food was very uh, you know very very different they came out with the pig brain for you to, to cook and eat and you know you know, it, it's a different a different world uh, and I have really good friends uh, you know uh, academics who work in China and, yeah. and, 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 and they eat China. animals alive there don't they well we didn't see any alive but you know, they had definitely have a different palace uh, oh, yeah. uh, overall um, but you know to, 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 the great thing about the career of a scientist is you can travel and see the world and work and you'll never be bored. Yeah. And the TED Talks, what are they like to do? So they were really interesting. The first one I did was in the TED Med one, which was in the Kennedy Center in, in, in Washington, and that was in front of a thousand people. And they told me that I couldn't use slides and I uh, couldn't wear a jacket. That was the two things I remember from it most. And I, I had to learn my talk off. They had scripted, I scripted it, but they had gone through it with me, you know, for months. The, you know, really? people don't know that the, this went on for months of of uh, of scripting and making sure it was fine. And I, I was, you know, walking down college. Road in the evening, trying to make sure I remember. It was like school. It was like poetry in the leaving search. You know what I mean? It was really Williams Wordsworth. Really, really like that. So that was that was very different. Uh, And uh, so the two things I remember from that: if I ever did anything like this again, I would wear a jacket uh, uh, because I I don't I don't work well in the round, uh, and uh, I would have some slides. And so I was invited to the TEDx, which was much more casual, and you know there was no uh, vetting or anything before. And TEDx's are more spontaneous uh, and uh, that I did in Dublin uh, a year and a half ago and that was that was so that allowed me to to, and I, to tell something a little bit different okay. uh, and, and, and I wanted to focus it on that so. they, are like are they strict on blocking and stuff like that like getting you to stand in a certain place and deliver and voice intonation and stuff the TED Med is very like they had makeup they had all the things you know it, wow. it was really, really strict the TEDx was a little bit less strict they had a red area you had to stand in and, and uh, you know it was much more casual uh, and uh, Are you, you know, dealing with a different crowd? Oh, eventually, yeah. The TED Med is very much about disruptive medicine and about a high-tech industry. The TEDx was, was for Ireland initially, but, but interestingly, of the two, uh, my TEDx one is much more popular. So 125,000 people watch that, wow. and, and, and I don't know what the other one is at, but it's not, 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 not as near. Because it, I, I, felt, I felt a little bit less um, contrived, and uh, I, you, know, you tell these jokes and the other one, and people you, didn't, you couldn't really see because of the lights and so many people, mm. um, and uh, you were doing it in a foreign place. Yeah. You know, and whereas in Dublin, you, you know the audience are all Irish, you know what you're talking to, and uh, I was able to talk about my granny. Yeah, yeah, people were it. Yeah. I noticed that you talked about your granny, John, and I was very impressed. Would she be a big source of inspiration to your work? I guess so, because she she lived with us. So growing up, you know, I, I'm one of seven kids growing up on a farm in the west of Ireland, you know, and my granny was the powerhouse in, in it. And uh, her and my mother always had a interesting relationship because my mother married in, you know, so so uh, it was, uh, and I was her favourite. And so we, she she was always someone that, you know, she, it was her house and it was very much, that was how she was. And she, she, she was always listened to the radio and had the TV on and was very clued into 
changed the world and uh, was very, you know, worldwide. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from her. Uh, and, you know, she was quite old. I mean, she, you know, uh, uh, she was well into her 90s when she passed. So, so me as a young kid, you know, it was, just, it was great having that transgenerational mm. thing. And, and, and getting that, away and, with murder, I'd say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you find um, we're losing that kind of person now, though? the world-wise type of person. I mean, everything is accessible, so people don't actually need to know as much. And put it in, in a... The, the, it's not all about knowledge, it's about putting the knowledge into a context. Mm. So, you, you know, I, you can t- know what the capital of a, of, of a thing is, but, but to, for someone to tell you what it's like to be there mm. and what it was and, and, how, and how you should, you know, understand the world, I, I think that's changing. Mm. It was interesting in China when I was there, they, they still very much have this uh, intergenerational connectivity. Mm. So a family is pa- very strong. A family though, pass in China is the, includes the two grandparents. You know, so because often it's the grandparents looking after the kids and they've had a one child um, uh, uh, rule for many years. It's broken now, but 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 it's very intergenerational, which we in Ireland have, you know, lost because people are way too busy in in, in, in many ways uh, uh, overall. Yeah, I always think I, I, I constantly think it. I think the world and people just need to slow down a little and chill a bit out and maybe look after their microbes that might help them do that. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in 20 years? 20 years. Mm. 20 years. My wife would hope retired. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we had a recent conversation about with, with, a, with, with one of our uh, uh, financial people. It was asking, when would you like to retire? And my wife was like, you know, as soon as possible. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I could never see myself retired at all. <laughs> Is she into sciences herself? Right? Uh, no, she's a teacher. She's okay. a high school, t- a secondary school teacher. Okay. So, 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 so uh, no, I, I think we will, um, 20 years time, I probably will be close, closing on retirement yeah. uh, in some ways. But I, I, I don't think I'll ever lose that wish to find out something new and more and, you know, where where that could be. Uh, if someone had told me 20 years ago when I was, um, you know, doing, you know, finishing up, I, I, 20 years ago I went to the States and this year and, uh, you know, if someone had told me that my path would have left me to Cork uh, and to have such a, a career in Cork, uh, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have, but I don't plan these things yeah. too much. Uh, um, Your but grandchild the, would probably have the coolest conversations with you. Know the way, grand, like I have a grandson now <laughs> and you know the way gran, granddads and their grandkids have this thing. He'll, your grandson, grandson or granddaughter will just be inundated with this information on stuff. As long as it's not about poo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So basically I was thinking about what or when you were talking about microbiomes and I didn't understand what microbiomes were and I looked it up and it's like tiny little teeny tiny cultures. Yeah, bacteria, pos- yeah. P- potentially like little civilizations yeah. living in our gut. And then I started thinking about years ago when the Higgs boson theory came out and it blew my mind at the time because when you think about the universe goes on for infinity that you can't comprehend how far it goes on and then you go down into a little cell and a molecule and it goes on for infinity into tiny, tiny, tiny. Is that what's going on in our gut? Yes and no. Are Uh, we effectively God of these little microbiocultures? Ooh, That's what I... Yeah. So that's a very human view of things the microbes would think they're the god of us you know what i mean that they're they're actually okay. the ones because they were here first they were here first yeah so once you start thinking and i collaborate with an evolutionary uh, person in, in 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 the states you know uh, uh, to try and get my head around some of this uh, ideas is that they really are the, potentially the ones uh, pulling the strings um, and I, I compare it sometimes to, you know, in relation to our brain, I compare it to um, Pinocchio and 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 Geppetto, uh, and you know that Geppetto is the puppeteer, uh, and so Pinocchio is like the brain, and but it's actually the microbes that are pulling the strings, but it's it's and it's really. You know, it's really a story about control and who's really in control. And perhaps what I've also learned from my private life is that sometimes the person who's really in control is often the wife or partner of the person who thinks they're in control. So while the brain might think... It's it's usually the wife. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's face it here, yeah. I'm being politically... (laughs) (laughs) I beg to disagree, but I think I'm outnumbered. Um, You you, you are the bosses. (laughs) I wish. Um, The other thing that I was... What's to do with global warming, wasn't it? 
Could it be related to our climate change that okay. we might be a part of the problem that the microbiomes are trying to eliminate us? I think the, the, the when you start looking at things in a whole planetary view and there's a whole area of health now called planetary health where we're trying to look at how everything is connected within the whole ecosystem the microbes are king and they're really from their you know they're in the environments in the sea in the oceans in the soil they're affecting everything that's going on and we you know by what we're doing is what we're, we're disrupting how that is all and all happening like one of the one of the key things that you know listeners might be interested in is if 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 you looked at the microbes of our ancestors they would be much more much more diverse in our gut uh we have lost there's been an extinction of these microbes uh, you can see is what agricultural practices introduction uh, did to the microbes by looking in modern day um, Malawi or Venezuela because they still have these early uh, agrarian type uh, practices okay. but then it, with, it, since the 1950s with the introduction of processed food uh, stressful life that's exactly what I was thinking antibi- foods, yeah. a- a- antibiotics, uh, antibiotics. Uh, antibiotics both in the food chain which they do in the US all the time mm-hmm. uh, at, at, at sub therapeutic levels but also uh, by prescription that this has caused a complete extinction of many of these bacteria that our ancestors had and if you look at these ancestral cults uh, so they were in a better nick than we were so well were they? They, they didn't get multiple sclerosis they don't get if you go to these communities today they don't have multiple sclerosis or inflammatory bowel disease uh, and so you know from from a, a, a you know we have by changing, there's a lot of thought now gone into the idea that a lot of the modern lifestyle diseases, these inflammatory diseases, these mental diseases, these brain disorders are, are all due to disruption of, of this, both the, the, the microbiome, but also from a planetary perspective, what's going on in, in general and how, how all this is connected. Mm-hmm. And diversity and everything is connected. Mm. They're the keys. Wow, wow. mind blown. Okay. So look after, your, look after your microbiomes because they came first. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose to sum it so up, so up in a nutshell, I am God because I am a microbiome and you are what you eat. John Crine, thanks so much for coming in to see us and to chat with us. And thanks to you if you've been listening to us out there. Uh, this is our first one done and dusted. It's going to be dropping today. I don't know what day of the week that is, but it's today when you're listening to it. And I can guarantee you that next week's one will be this day next week. So I'm just going to leave you with a little something to think about in the week. And this is Pierce's thought for the week. What if my dog only brings back the ball because he thinks that I like throwing it? Until next week, thank you. Take care.